Okay, would you like to turn to Paul's letter to the Romans, Romans chapter 5. And I'm going to read from verse 18, Romans chapter 5 and verse 18. Consequently, just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men, so also the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was added so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's quite some considerable time since we were last looking at this chapter together. Uh, And if you have a long memory, you might remember uh, looking at verses 12 through to 17. And Paul there was speaking about the two key men of all world history, Adam and Jesus Christ. And Paul is saying that everyone who has ever been born belongs to one of them. Either Adam is our representative or Jesus Christ is our representative. And what those two men did affects everyone who belongs to them. And as we talked about it, we uh, drew attention to the fact that we can find it somewhat odd to say that what Adam did affects me or what Jesus did affects me, that it's like his actions become my actions. And uh, all those weeks ago, uh, the World Cup was just about to begin, if you remember. Uh, And uh, I I use that as an example, and I can use it now, um, and say, referring back to the World Cup, we could say, we really didn't do very well. We didn't play at our best. We, uh, we just didn't do well, and we came home early. And we can say things like that. In fact, we didn't play. I assume there's no one here who did. Otherwise, we'll lynch you after. There's no one here who did. And, uh, so we say, we did this, we did that, but actually, we didn't. But it was those representing us who did it. And so we quite rightly say, we, we, we came home early. We, we, we just didn't do well. Our representatives didn't do well. We didn't. Adam, our representative... Jesus, our representative, if we're in Christ. Everyone is born with Adam as their representative. And that's what Paul is talking about there in those verses, and he picks it up again in verse 18 and the verses that we've just read, 18 through to 21. And in those verses, 18 through to 21, he's repeating, stating again what he said in verses 12 through to 17. And you might say, well, we heard it all those weeks ago. We don't really need to hear it again. Well, Paul says, yes, you do. (laughs) Paul repeats it. He runs it through uh, in all those verses and then picks it up again in verse 18 and says it again because Paul knows that we need repetition. We're going to get hold of things we, we generally need to hear things several times before the penny drops and we've got, got hold of it. Sometimes we need to hear it much more than several times. We can have grown up with truths and we say, yes, I know that, I know that. And then suddenly it's like we hear it for the first time. 
And I guess many of us can identify with that. Something has suddenly had an impact and we think, but I've heard it many times before. Now suddenly, I've heard it. So for children here, you come Sunday by Sunday and you're hearing things. And in a sense, you can think, well, I've heard that many times. But yeah, hearing it isn't the same as believing it. And just believing about it isn't the same as actually getting hold of it and letting that truth get hold of you. We need to hear things again and again, so Paul here repeats it. But his overall theme is really what we have just been singing. There is no one, there is no one like Jesus. This is Paul's great theme. This is his enthusiasm. He begins, if you can remember, all the way back to chapter 1. He speaks about the, the unique superiority of the Christian gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentiles. This is something that Paul loves to talk about. He's enthusiastic about it because this is unique. Now, there are some people who like to kind of lump all the world religions together as if they're all much of a muchness. Or they lump together, perhaps, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity and say the three great They use the word monotheistic religions. They're all basically similar. Paul said, no, 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 they're not. Paul had grown up as a convinced Jew, but now he's met with Jesus. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power for the salvation of everyone who believes. This is unique because there is no one. There is no one like Jesus. And that's what Paul is enthusing about here. So let's look at these verses, 18 through to 21, and again we look at the two key men of world history. In verse 18 and onwards, he doesn't actually refer to Adam, he just refers to the one man, but that is who he has been speaking about from verse 12. So let's look at Adam, and in verse 18 he he says, Just as the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. So he refers to the trespass of this one man. He's drawing attention to the reality of Adam. There really was a man, the first man, called Adam. And if we don't believe the early chapters of Genesis, then we can strike all this out of our Bible because the whole New Testament depends on what we read there. There was a real man called Adam, and Adam chose to go against what God had said, the trespass of the one man. He, and Paul is drawing attention then to the reality of Adam, but also the reality of his sin, the enormity of his sin, that led to this consequence, condemnation for all men. All are condemned when Adam was condemned. Adam sinned against God, God's judgment is against Adam, and then God's judgment is against everyone who is in Adam, which is everyone. Adam, the first man representing the human race, and the human race then under God's condemnation. Paul in chapter 8, two chapters further on, speaks of some elements of that condemnation in verse 20 of chapter 8. He refers to uh, frustration. He goes on to speak about decay. And then in verse 22, pain. It's part of the condemnation. We're we're born into a world that knows frustration, a world that knows 
pain and a world that knows things just, nothing lasts, everything decays. That's condemnation. God's condemnation against Adam's sin, and we come into that. The frustration of wanting to be better than we are, and yet somehow we can't make it. The frustration of making decisions that we don't live up to, commitments that we, let, we fail on. Life is full of frustration, and that is part of the condemnation that Adam earned, and we inherit. And then in verse 19, he goes on and says, just as through the disobedience of the one man, the disobedience of the one man, the, the many were made sinners. Adam voluntarily, his own free will, he chose to disobey a wonderfully wise, generous, loving, gracious God. Adam knew what God said. Adam knew how good God was. Adam knew how wise God is. And yet he thought, I'll do it my way. And he chose to disobey. As a result of Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners. Or the many were put in the category of sinners. It's like we live under a banner, condemnation. And then also sinners. That's, we go around, as it were, with a badge. I am a sinner. That's who we are in Adam. Adam chose to disobey, and the many are then put by God into that category. You are sinners. That's before people have had a law to break. They are sinners in Adam. Theologians refer to original sin. It's Adam's original sin, and we are born with original sin. There is no age of innocence. When a baby is born, it isn't initially innocent, and then it learns, maybe, to do things wrong. No, we are born in Adam, and in that category of sinner. And that's where we are from birth, and that's where we are unless we move out of Adam into Christ. And then God adds law into that, but he adds law into a situation. It says there in verse 20, the law was added, but the situation was already one where we are sinners. Even if we have never heard God's law, we are sinners, and that explains the situation of the world. It explains why we hear about murder, why we hear about terrible things that are happening. Just this last week, the leader of one of our churches in another nation walked out of the church office and was shot dead on the spot. These things happen. These things happen. We live in a messed up world. People do things like that in the name of religion. A fundamentalist shoots him because he's a Christian and a leader killed. These things happen. We live in a world of hatred. We live in a world where we can't trust anyone. We live in a world of vandalism. We live in a world of jealousy. We live in a world where we think it convenient to just kill unwanted children. We live in a messed up world in the category of sinner. And it's into a situation where we are condemned and sinners that then God in his mercy gave his law. The law was added. The law came in to that messed up situation to bring Education, to tell us how God wants us to live, the best way to live. To bring regulation so we know what's right and what's wrong and, we, and, and law is regulated with punishments and so on. But it says the law was added so that the trespass might increase. It's not like God wanted to make sin worse 
But actually the effect of law is that Adam's original trespass grows now because we all have laws to disobey. Adam had a law and he disobeyed. Now we all have laws. And what do we do with law? Generally, either rebel against it or become legalists. We either resent law or we emphasize law, but both ways we fail. Because either it leads to rebellion or pride. And the law was added, but it didn't actually make people good because the law doesn't make people good. The law just causes us now to be rebels against God and to know how we ought to be, but the frustration of not being able to do it. Regulation, laws, education, they don't change who we are. We're sinners and we're rebels in God's sight. And so, it says, sin, verse 21, sin reigned in death. Sin reigns. We can't get out of it, and the outcome of sin is death. That's Adam, and everyone who has ever been born is born in Adam. No one is born good. Yes, we can. some people are better than others, but we're in Adam, and that's how God regards us. However we might regard ourselves, we're in that category, condemned sinners and facing death. But then there's the second man. And this is Paul's great enthusiasm. There is no one like Jesus. Why is Paul so enthusiastic? Because of this contrast. Just as this, so that. Let's look at the contrast then. Verse 18, the result of one trespass was condemnation for all men. So the result of one act of righteousness was justification that brings life for all men. One man's righteousness, referring to Jesus. Jesus lived a perfect life. Jesus died a perfect life. offered his perfect life as a substitute for us, taking our sin. Our sin and our sin only is punished in him. He had no sin of his own. He offers himself as a sacrifice for us. That act, his act of righteousness results in justification that leads to life. If we initially we're under this banner condemnation. In Christ, we're under another banner justification. Justification means acquitted, off the hook. You know, you sometimes see it from time to time. You see it on television. The the television cameras are outside the law courts in London. Someone has maybe spent a considerable time in jail. And now their appeal has been heard, and on the basis of that appeal, they are told, you are free to go. And the cameras catch them, they're interviewed on the steps of the law courts. Often they're emotional, had a long time in prison, and suddenly they're free. They're not guilty after all. Now, obviously that happens because of a miscarriage of justice. In our case, we were guilty, but now we're free. God says, you are free to go. Justification. No longer living under condemnation, but living under justification. Adam brings us into this sphere where we're condemned. Jesus brings us into a sphere where we're justified. And so Paul says at the beginning of chapter 8, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're moved into a totally different sphere. And then he moves on here in verse 19. 
Just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, are constituted sinners, put in this category, you are a sinner. So, through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made or constituted righteous. The obedience of the one man. Jesus, always obedient to his father. Because this is meat and drink to do his father's will. But his obedience particularly was at the end, at the cross. In Philippians chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2 and verse 8, Paul says, being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross, the obedience of the one man. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. Through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. The many will be put into this category, you are righteous. Now that is a legal position before ever it becomes kind of actual. It's it's our position before it becomes our condition. God puts us in this legal position, you are righteous, before we have learned to live righteously. It's, it's a legal position, it's nothing to do with our behavior. It's not, uh, it's not affected by our behavior. Uh, it's not achieved by our behavior. God puts us in this category, and nothing we can do takes us out of that category, but obviously our condition needs to become the same as our position. It's as if... God has moved us from one sphere to another. Just imagine that along the side of that balcony there, instead of all those flags, it said, condemnation, sinner. And we were all under that balcony. Sorry for those who are sitting that side, but that's the side you are. Condemned and sinners. And that's where we all were. And then along that balcony, justified and righteous. Now, the moment you become a Christian, before you've cleaned your act up before you've done anything, you're taken out from there and put there. And now you're under that label. You're under that label saying, justified. It's free. You haven't haven't done anything. You've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, whose obedience and whose perfect righteousness has achieved that for you. It's the free gift of God. Suddenly, you're now living under that label. You're not living under a label saying condemnation. You're certainly not living under a label saying sinner. You're now living under a label that says justified and righteous. Now, we're well aware of our condition. We're well aware of all the things we do wrong. Now we're talking about legal position here. And the legal position is out from there and placed there. And that's, that's how God sees us. However we might see ourselves, as God looks at us, that's how he sees us justified and righteous. That's what Paul is saying here. Through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Future tense will be made righteous. At the end will be declared righteous. But there's many more who will be made righteous. Paul sees this as as an ongoing thing. Now, of course, that's a dangerous thing to say. Because if we say we didn't achieve it and we can't affect it, Then you might say, well, therefore, if we're under that label, if that's how God views us, then, hey, it doesn't matter what we do anymore. 
Well, that's the issue that Paul is going to address in chapter 6, which maybe we'll start to look at next week. Shall we go on sinning then so that grace may increase? By no means. How can we, he says, when we sin under that balcony, we're no longer sinning against law, but we are sinning against love. God has loved us. How can we then do things? There, we mustn't. It's law. Now it's the love of God, the sheer grace of God. It's how can you do it when God has done that for you? It's a different kind of deal. We can't bring ourselves out from there. We are safe. But no, we don't go on sinning because God has loved us and because he's put us in that wonderful position. And so Paul goes on, verse 20, the law was added. Yes, the law was added and it didn't help us. It just gave us laws to break. And indeed, as Paul will go on to say in chapter 7, the law even provoked us to sin because the very information that we shouldn't do things caused us to think, hey, let's try it. So law didn't help. But where sin increased, he says, grace increased all the more. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Law, the law of God made sin universally prevalent and universally powerful. People couldn't get free of it. Sin ruled. Sin reigned in death. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Sin might be very powerful, but ultimately it's not triumphant. What is more powerful than sin is God's wonderful grace. When you're in sin, when you're trying to clean your act up, when you're trying to conquer things, just knowing that you shouldn't do it, sin seems very powerful. But there is something more powerful than sin. And that is this wonderful grace of God. What Paul says here is where sin increased, grace more increased. Or where sin abounded, grace superabounded. That's kind of the force of what he's saying. Where did sin increase the most? Well, surely when sinful humanity took the Son of God and nailed him on a cross. When sinful, rebellious human beings take the perfect Son of God and nail him on a cross and hoist that cross up into position, that surely is the height, the ultimate of sin. And what happened to that place? Salvation is poured out salvation is poured out where sin increased grace more than increased because it is in the crucifying of the son of God that sinful humanity can be saved and there the savior dies in our place taking our sin so that sin can be forgiven no wonder Paul is enthusiastic about this where sin increased grace more than increased Sinners can be freely justified, permanently justified. This is unique. There is no one, there is no one like Jesus. Adam did this, this, and this. Yeah, but look what Jesus did. Look what Jesus has done. That is what he has done for us. And so grace abounds and there is life. Verse 21, sin reigned in death. A cruel, tyrannous reign, but grace reigns through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
grace reigns, righteousness prevails, and hence we live forever with the resurrected Jesus who lives forever. Now that's the truth that Paul has stated twice. He says it the once, he runs through it again, he wants people to get hold of it. And that is the point. It's not enough to have sound doctrine. Oh yes, we need sound doctrine. We don't have sound doctrine, we're lost. But it's not enough to have sound doctrine. It's not enough to be able to explain grace. It's not enough to be able to explain what this word justification means. It's not enough to be able to explain being in Adam and being in Christ. We need to know those things. But that's not enough. Why does Paul say it twice? Well, because we need to get hold of it so we are not just knowing it, but we're living it. We had that word this morning about the how much more and the whole thrust of that word was getting hold of it. Then when Tom got us out of our seats, he's saying, now come on, we've got to get physical. Well, yes, we have. The truth has got to be made physical where we are actually living it. Now, what we see here, first of all, two stark possibilities. Think again of the two positions under that balcony or under this balcony. There are two positions, in Adam or in Christ. There is no middle ground. So everyone who's sitting in the middle, sorry, there is no middle ground. There's only the the lost, condemned, fallen people over there. there's, There's in Adam or there's in Christ. There is no middle ground. Everyone is born in Adam. And unless and until... We are born again by the Spirit of God. We repent of our sin and we believe in the, the, in the salvation that is ours in Christ. Unless and until that happens, we are in Adam and we're under sentence of death. Children, I'd say, just children here, there are two positions. You're either a sinner or you're in Christ. Being brought up by Christian parents, coming here Sunday by Sunday, just means you're hearing things. Wonderful, you need to hear those things. There's a point in your life when you need to make a decision that you are going to believe in Jesus and you're going to receive him as your savior. Everyone here, we need to be clear. We've moved from one position to the other. And it's, there's no middle ground. You don't move gradually across. You're either in Adam or you're in Christ. And there is no middle ground. There are no other options, although people sometimes come up with kind of muddled options. Now, there are some people, for example, who they're in a kind of no man's land. They're genuinely born again. They know. They can pinpoint the day. Some people even the hour of the day when they became a Christian. They know they're genuinely saved. And yet, looking at their life, you'd never know it. People talk about being born again. I think particularly in North America, the, the phrase born again is banded around a lot. And then you look at the people who are described as born again, you think, really? Because maybe someone has just gone through some horrendous court case and it says they're a born again Christian. You think, what? Yeah, it seems to happen, but there is no middle ground. For other people, they're genuinely believing in Christ. And yet they also feel they're still under that balcony. They, jet, they know they're saved, but they don't feel condemned. And every time they try and pray, oh, they're condemned. 
God will never do that for me. God is not going to answer my prayer. God's not going to do good for me. They're still living with that badge. I'm a sinner. They live in Romans chapter 7, which is no man's land. I know I have the desire to do what's good. I can't carry it out. What a wretched man I am. People live like that. Paul is describing a no man's land position there. You can't be there. Either you're condemned or you're justified. Either you're a sinner or you're righteous. There is no middle ground. If we're in Christ, we are justified, not condemned. If anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. We're not in condemnation anymore, that middle ground. Other people have this muddled idea that, yeah, they don't believe in Jesus because they see no need to believe in Jesus because they feel they're basically all right. Certainly they're not as bad as some. And yet, not believing in Jesus and not ever repenting of sin, they still reckon they'll ultimately go to heaven. No, that's a non-position. That is a non-position. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ. And you're in Christ when you believe in him and when you commit your life to him. But if we're in Christ, then we are in this position that Paul describes here where grace superabounds. We can be genuinely born again, and yet we are more, if we are honest about it, we are more aware of our sin and our failings. Because obviously when you get close to God, you are aware of things like that. But we can be more aware of our sin than we're aware of grace. We're more troubled by sin than we are excited by grace. Now, Paul says here, verse 21, sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign. Sin ruled our lives before we were in Christ. Does grace rule your life now you're in Christ? Do you know what it means to be ruled by grace? The reign of grace. Grace might reign. Do you understand that? Is that your experience? Or are you saying, yeah, I know Jesus is my savior, but sin still reigns. No, it doesn't. It can dominate you in the sense of bullying you and lying to you and telling you you've still got to obey sin. But no, you're out from that category. You're now in this category. And in this category, grace reigns. Now, what does that mean in practice? Well, certainly sin doesn't reign. And if it tells you it does, it's lying. (laughs) Grace reigns reigns. It justifies. Yes, that's the banner over you. Justified. You come to God. I am justified. I'm in Christ. That's our position. Grace convinces us of of all that Jesus has done, his wonderful merit that is ours. Grace gets into our very heart And grace then causes your heart to sing whatever the rest of you is doing. Because grace touches you. And you know, my sin is taken away. It's no longer attached to my name anymore. It's gone. And grace has prevailed. Now, amazing grace, as the hymn writer said. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. As I once was lost. Now I'm found. Change position. And grace convinces us. Grace then silences or enables us to silence Satan's voice. 
When he tries to get us to sin. No, we don't have to do that. When he accuses us. No, that's not true. Grace enables us to be who God has made us to be. Our position, righteous. Grace enables us to be righteous. We won't go on sinning so that grace may increase. How can we? Now, grace enables us to deal with sin. Law never did. Law waved a finger in our face and said, you mustn't do that. It's bad if you do that. And it didn't help. Grace, the wonderful grace of God, means we are free not to sin. We are free to deal with things, not because we're more powerful, but because God is powerful and we're in Christ. Grace changes us. Grace enables us to cope with whatever life throws at us. Grace means we receive blessing from God, but actually grace also means we can cope when the opposite is happening, when it looks like blessing is taken away and when tragedy strikes. Referred to the church leader that we've heard of this week, shot dead outside his church office. How did his family cope with that? God's got grace. Many of us will know the accident that Rory was involved in this last week and the driver of the car that he was in killed on the spot. The, the, the family and church from which she came, they've got the grace of God. God's grace is there when tragedy strikes, when things go seriously wrong. Those of you who get the prayer letters uh, from uh, uh, Luke Wood's parents, uh, Luke, for those who don't know, uh, visiting Sheffield uh, some t- earlier this year for a wedding and just struck down with a uh, terrible condition, totally paralyzed. And day by day, those letters come. But they're just full of the grace of God. The par- his parents coping with seeing their son in that position. Yet there's always worship expressed in those. They know that these difficult things happening in their lives are coming from the hand of God. And they're trusting God. Grace, wonderful grace. It's not everything's going to be wonderful now because we're in Christ. No, we're in Christ and life can still throw some nasty things at us. But we're in the grace of God and our heart is secure in him. And we will press through because grace will enable us to press through. Grace enables us to cope. Grace enables us to believe God's smile over us. So whatever is happening, we're in our own little oasis with God. It may be a desert around, but we've got supplies that are not evident to other people because God is with us. And we can say with Paul, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Because it's grace, wonderful grace. So that grace might reign, the rule of grace. Do you know what that is? Are you born again, believing in Jesus, and yet living under those labels? Condemned. Sinner. No, you're not under those labels anymore. You are not. God has moved you, and he's put you under the label justified, righteous. And then he pours out grace. How can you receive that grace if you're still believing those other labels? They're not true. God wants us to enjoy him. Jesus has done everything necessary for us to enjoy God. And this is the gospel. 
This is the gospel that causes Paul to say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power for the salvation of everyone who believes. The question is, do you believe it? Have you partly believed it? Believed it to ensure you'll get to heaven, but maybe not believing it for life now. Now, God wants us to get physical. God wants us to bring the truth into life now. That we know the label over us. We know that when God looks at us, he sees those labels. Justified. Righteous. Oh, there's heaven's smile. There's grace from God. This is the gospel, and this is who our Savior is. This is what is done. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Is that the Savior you've received? There is no middle ground. There is no no man's land in between. We're either in Adam or we're in Christ. If we're in Adam, that's how we live. If we're in Christ, well, let's live like it. And let's enjoy it because that's what God has brought us into.